Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Congress did something remarkable this past week. It is a milestone. This bill is poised to become the most significant federal bipartisan gun law we've seen in decades. Members of Congress from either side of the aisle coming together to pass important gun safety legislation. Remarkable for a number of reasons. Chief among them, they did it despite the deep partisan divide that exists in America today. How bad is it? Well, the state of democracy uh, is uncertain, probably as perilous as we've seen, uh, certainly since the 1860s. From all the years I've been in politics, I say this is the, uh, the worst it's been as far as the partisan disagreements, the anger, the rage. This week on 880 In-Depth, conversations with two former members of Congress from New York, Pete King and Steve Israel, one Republican, one Democrat. Both are very concerned about what they see happening in American politics today. I think if there's any hope, uh, it's not going to be in the short term. I actually, uh, I'm sorry to say, I think it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Michael Wallace. It's fair to say politics in Washington has become dysfunctional. In a way, it's like that 1970s ad campaign for Miller Lite. Tastes great. It's less filling. There is a crisis of compromise in American politics today. It used to be compromise and civility uh, and uh, building consensus was a value in Washington, D.C., rewarded by a member of Congress's constituents. Now it is vilified. How did we get here and how do we get out? Those are questions we put to two former New York members of Congress. Uh, I'm former Congressman Steve Israel. I'm the executive director of the Cornell University Brooks Institute of Politics and Global Affairs. Peter King, uh, Long Island former congressman. Both men spoke to our reporter Peter Haskell this week on the heels of the Supreme Court decision that struck down Roe v. Wade. We begin with Democrat Steve Israel. This erosion uh, of democratic norms and values, the breakdown of faith in institutions, 
the hyper-partisanship uh, is the culmination uh, of about 30 or 40 years, uh, according to studies that, that we've undertaken at uh, Cornell University. Uh, and it's accelerated uh, by two influences. The first is social media. Uh, look, we've always had partisan impulses, but now those impulses are accelerated, they're inflamed, they're intensified by social media where anybody can say anything and it becomes believed by everybody. Uh, the second influence is congressional gerrymandering, and let me put that in perspective. When I was elected to the United States Congress in 2000, out of the 435 congressional districts, about 150 were considered to be in the center, uh, where, where compromise and consensus was valued. When I chaired the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in 2011, the number of centrist moderate districts had been reduced by gerrymandering to about 150. Today, in the midterm elections, which are just a few months away, the number of centrist, moderate, competitive congressional districts is about 30 or 40. And so out of 435 congressional districts, 30 to 40 have constituents who value compromise. All of the other districts have members of Congress who do not fear losing a general election to someone from the opposite party, but fear losing a primary election from somebody further to the left or right of them. And that is what is driving the partisanship on Capitol Hill. What's the impact then on democracy? Well, the impact is severe, and it explains almost everything that uh, we're witnessing. Um, if you are a member of Congress who wants to reach across party aisles and get stuff done, and you have a district that has been drawn to protect your right flank or left flank, you're going to lose your, your primary election. Uh, it used to be compromise and civility uh, and uh, building consensus was a value in Washington, D.C., rewarded by a member of Congress's constituents. Now it is vilified back home. Uh, if you compromise, you're attacked for it. If you work with, uh, if you're a Republican who works with Democrats or vice versa, you pay the price in a lost election. So the, the, what we need to do, if, if, we, if there's any hope for democracy, we need to do two things. One is, Take the partisanship out of uh, drawing congressional districts. Don't draw districts that accentuate the extremes. Draw districts that reflect the vibrant center uh, in the United States. And second, find ways to hold social media more responsible for screaming fire in crowded movie theaters, which is exactly what social media has been doing. While this partisan divide has been building for years, recent events have helped fuel the fire. I'm Stacey Lynn in Washington, where there are hundreds of people outside the Supreme Court, a divided group with many celebrating the Supreme Court's decision that there is no longer a federal constitutional right to an abortion, like Alan Parker, who's the president of the Justice Foundation. The thousands of women I represent hurt by abortion are overjoyed. This is a great day for America. Many, like Democratic Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, are upset by the ruling. They bulldozed over reproductive health and rights, and now we must fight back harder than ever before. What was happening is many, many social issues, uh, which typically in our history were resolved by compromise and negotiation, two factors that are integral to democracy, are now resolved by throwing hand grenades at one another. Now resolved not by trying to find the common ground, 
but by each side staking out a, a further position. And so the art of the negotiation, the art of compromise, uh, has just withered in Washington, D.C. In addition to that, uh, you know, these kind of structures of what I call, what would have been called conflict entrepreneurs, that is, public officials who thrive not on relieving conflict, but by being more incendiary, by capitalizing on conflict, that has permeated our society. It's even permeated uh, our courts, where you have judges uh, who become judges not to rule on the law, but because they themselves want to make a point, want to flex their ideology. And that's become a very, very dangerous uh, to, to our democracy as well. In terms of the legitimacy of institutions, it's one thing for people not to trust Congress. But when people don't trust the judicial system, what kind of danger is there? And it strikes me, I think it was John Roberts who said, my job is to call balls and strikes. Is that what the court is doing now? Uh, I don't believe that the court is calling balls and strikes anymore. I think that the court has decided that they are going to uh, essentially uh, be uh, partisan uh, umpires you know, and put themselves on the field. I think that's dangerous no matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. But, Peter, you ask a very good question, and it's kind of at the essence of this whole uh, issue. Um, we, when I was in Congress, we studied uh, the erosion of confidence in institutions. In 2016, I was asked to study why, uh, as a member of Congress, why uh, the American um, electorate seemed to be uh, moving so far in opposite directions. And one of the things that we found were that the institutions that always kept us grounded together uh, were fraying, and people had lost faith in those institutions, largely as a result of the convergence of 9-11 and the 2008 economic meltdown. And so institutions like sports uh, became less binding with uh, scandals in sports like Deflategate uh, and uh, baseball players on steroids. Institutions like Wall Street became less cre credible as a result of the 2008 uh, meltdown. Um, institutions like the courts became less credible as a result of ideology uh, in, in courtrooms. And so we began to lose our faith in those common institutions that gave us solace, uh, and that further polarized the American electorate. One of the things we sometimes hear from Republicans when they talk about the January 6th investigation or other things it's these false equivalencies, be it the George Floyd protests were uh, violent or there were Democrats who didn't think President Trump was legitimate because of uh, potential Russian collusion. How do we address these kinds of things where it's, it's well, you said this or I did this, but, but you did that. How do we deal with that? You know, democracy can't survive in a climate of whataboutism. Uh, you know, if I say that uh, January 6th was an insurrection, somebody else says, well, so was the attack on courts in Portland. There, there is no equivalence between the two, uh, not even close. Uh, or if I, as a, as a progressive, see something that bothers me, and then as a progressive, I, I myself say, well, what about, what about it? That's not helpful. Um, but it's, it's 
amplified by social media. We used to have a country where we could rely on the media to help guide us through those complexities. It wasn't about whataboutism. It was this, this is what's going on. And now you make your judgment. We have to hold social media responsible um, for providing content um, that is designed to be incendiary, that is designed not to process what has actually happened, but write talking points uh, and 280-character tweets uh, so that we can respond to what, what's happening. When I was a, you know, this will show you my age, when I was a kid, I used to come home from, uh, from high school, and you know what? I would turn on Walter Cronkite uh, on CBS News, as many of my cohorts would, and we would, you know, we would kind of watch him and understand what was happening in Vietnam or with Watergate. Those days are over. Now we curate our own news. Now we are subject to news not by a, an objective analysis of what's happening, but by our bias confirmation. We read what we want to read, we hear what we want to hear, and that is not healthy for democracy. As for the future, Democrat Steve Israel told our Peter Haskell, I think if there's any hope, uh, it's not going to be in the short term. I actually, uh, I'm sorry to say, I think it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. But it will get better. And it will get better when we, number one, uh, reform partisan uh, congressional gerrymandering uh, and draw districts not to protect the left and the right, but to represent the broad base of Americans. And number two, when we find responsible ways of holding social media accountable, when we perhaps teach news literacy uh, in our, in our uh, colleges, our universities, our high schools, when we return to the understandable values uh, of being consumers of news and let people know when they are being propagandized and when uh, they're receiving objective uh, news and analysis of current events. We've seen this fury on both sides, be it January 6th or the, the post-Roe decision. How concerned are you about political violence? You know, when I was in Congress, uh, I saw over 16 years um, the uh, intensification of, of uh, demonizing the other side. Uh, I saw... Uh, many of my colleagues begin to view people on the other side of the aisle uh, as somehow alien, un-American, uh, as having dangerous ideas. Uh, but I never saw anything close to what I saw on January 6th. Uh, and I, I become very, very deeply concerned when my former colleagues, who I know know better, who I know saw that day, uh, as a violent attack, begin to apologize for it or try and deflect. If we can't agree that beating up Capitol Hill police officers to the point where they were bloodied in an attempt to stop the counting of an election, which is fundamental democracy, if we can't agree on those facts, what will we ever agree on? And at that point, it just becomes too late to salvage democracy uh, in the long term. And so we've got to get back to uh, a point in time where we can at least agree on the facts and then learn how to state our disagreements respectfully, civilly, and come to some compromise. Should we fear the end of this democracy as we know it? 
I don't know that we should fear the end of democracy uh, as we know it, because fear does no good. I think the first step is understanding uh, how, how we're sliding, coming to grips with the fact that democracy is not now what it used to be, uh, and rebuilding the center in America. The fact of the matter is that in our democracy, uh, nearly 60% of Americans support uh, a woman's right to choose uh, under certain circumstances, not all, but under certain circumstances. The fact of the matter is that a majority of Americans in a general election voted for uh, Joe Biden. Uh, if we can find a way to reconstitute that center, not to the far left, not to the far right, but empower and embolden that center and give it agency again, then I think we'll repair our democracy. On the other side of the aisle is former Republican Congressman Pete King, also from Long Island. There are many instances where the two men worked together on issues that benefited New York and beyond, including 9-11. Pete King served almost three decades before retiring in 2021. He sat down with our Peter Haskell this week. How would you describe the current partisan divide? Uh, from all the years I've been in politics, i say this is the, uh, the worst it's been as far as the partisan disagreements, the anger the rage, and it's interesting because people will say they want to find a compromise, they want people to work together, but if you do work together, if you do find a compromise, then your own party often calls you a traitor, uh, you're uh, accused of not being loyal enough to your principles, so it's, it's very difficult. And people also, I think more and more, they're living in silos, they're living in echo chambers where they only uh, watch or listen to their own uh, you know, the favorite uh, channels and stations they were on social media uh, only going to websites that uh, uh, support their positions and would demonize the opposition so now this is uh, far worse listen going back to the days of Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill you never had a more conservative president or a more liberal speaker of the house and yet they either they managed either to work things out or to uh, respect each other's opinion uh, today, it's all or nothing. And uh, so, if, again, if you do try to uh, come to the middle, you do try to work it out, uh, your own party will attack you. And uh, then you have to worry about being, a, if you're a politician, being elected in the primary, because the primary usually is the, the base voters come out and they, they feel the strongest and they just don't want any compromise. And the problem is everyone they talk to agrees with them because people are now just staying in their own small circles. How does this shake out going forward then? If the people who want to compromise can't get elected, the people who do get voted in are at the extremes, what does that mean for the political system and what does it mean for the country? To me, it's a, it's a bad omen for the country. We have to find ways to work together. I consider myself a strong conservative, but I will sit down if, uh, if it's necessary to get something passed. You work, you get as much as you can of what you're looking for, and the other side will try and get as much as they want, and you work out a compromise. I mean, that, that's the only way. Listen, in a democracy of all the hundreds of millions of people we have, where people have so many different views, the only way you can function is to, is, is to compromise. Because we all have very deeply held views, but you can't have, uh, you know, 400 secretaries of state or 500 presidents. You only have one president, one secretary of state, one speaker of the House, one majority leader of the Senate, and so they have to uh, uh, form coalitions, they have to uh, try to bring people together, otherwise we're going to be just locked in place and we're going to be uh, screaming at each other from opposite sides of the street, but never getting the job done. 
But despite all of the noise that comes from Washington, D.C. these days, to their credit, lawmakers did get something done last week. Breaking news on Capitol Hill, where their first major gun control legislation in decades is expected to get final approval in Congress later today. We asked Pete King, can that be a model moving ahead? The gun bill could be a blueprint, but the reality is uh, the horror of the shooting in Texas, also you know the one in Buffalo, and for that matter, also the one on the Long Island on the uh, New York City subway system, which could have been a disaster. When you had over thirty bullets being fired in a, in a crowded uh, subway car, uh, it prompted Congress that they realized something had to be done. Uh, quite honestly, the bill they passed is. Uh, not that significant as far as what it actually provides for. I think what is significant or could be significant is the fact that they found any agreement at all. And it sends a signal that compromise is possible. Again, it was not, it's not that strong a bill, but it's a step forward. And that could be a, an omen that we are turning the corner. It's, you know, the thing that's interesting is that after Sandy Hook, it seems even after Uvalde, Texas, there's still no consensus about a, how to make kids safe, which it would seem people in both parties want. What does that say, and how do we overcome that? I think really it's, you know, in, in the end, it's up to the voters. I mean, the voters are the ones who, you know, they, they elect people, and they, they, they say what they want. And even though overall uh, voters say they want compromise, the fact is when the reality of a compromise comes out, they end up being very critical of it. So uh, I, I think, again, in, in a democracy, voters get the government they, they vote for, that they ask for, and if they don't like it, they have to go out and, and they, they should change it through the democratic process. And uh, so you need really more voter input on a regular basis, not just when it comes to a, a primary election. They should be following it day in and day out to get the government they want because, again, I'm, I'm not trying to trivialize it, democracy is a participatory sport can't just sit back and criticize. You have to get in the arena yourself. You have to follow it, and you have to uh, focus on what you want and then find ways to get it done, not how you find ways to criticize or, uh, what gets done. There's been a lot of anger about a lot of things lately. If people refuse to accept the results of an election or an investigation or a court decision, then what? Uh, democracy will fail. We have to accept the results of the election. Democrats had a hard time accepting Donald Trump's election in 2016, saying there was Russian collusion. Obviously, President Trump didn't accept his election results in 2020. Obviously, people today are opposed to the court's decision in Roe versus Wade. Well, you know, I'm a conservative who opposed court decisions for many years, but you don't go out and ride and, uh, and uh, don't demand that we get new judges on the court. What you do is you go out and you work hard, you elect people, and then if you elect a president, he will appoint the judges that would uh, more support his position or your position. This is, you can't have instant gratification in, in, in uh, democracy. Often it can take 5, 10, 15, 20 years to get something done. But the alternative to that is to have a dictatorship where someone just comes in and does whatever he or she wants. So uh, I, I would say to people, if you object to a decision, it's, it's great. It's fine to peacefully demonstrate. But the reality is, if you want to change it, you have to work through the legislative and judicial process. Today, Pete King spends part of his time commenting on local talk radio. Much of the discussion there centers on the merits of relitigating January 6th and the last presidential election. Listen, I, I think there, there were things done by the uh, 
some Republicans after the election in November, which I think were wrong. But I also say what the Democrats did to President Trump by charging Russian collusion using the CIA and the FBI when there was absolutely no collusion at all and put a cloud over his presidency, that was, that was wrong. And I think what, what some Republicans did, including the president, after this year's, uh, or after the 2020 election was wrong, both sides have to step back and, and accept the results. Listen, we could have gone back to 1960. Richard Nixon could have contested his election. In uh, 20, in uh, uh, 2000, Al Gore could have kept that fight going for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, even after the Supreme Court decision. Both of them respected the institution. President Nixon respected the institution of the presidency. Al Gore respected the institution of the presidency. And they realized that the greater good was to accept the results of, of the election as, as they were. So I, I, I'm really calling on both parties that no matter what happens in the next election or elections coming up, accept the results. Don't, don't say they're rigged. Don't say there was collusion by a foreign power. Accept the results of, of the election. But there are some Republicans being elected and, and running in various places, uh, jobs that control the levers of elections, who say that President Trump did win. And, I mean, should we agree that the candidate with, with the most votes is the winner? And what happens if some of these extremists get elected? Well, I would say the same thing about Democrats who said, including very top Democrats, who said that Russia colluded to elect President Trump in 2016. And that was a total lie. And many of them still believe that. So I'm calling on both parties to accept the results of, of the elections. And if there is a dispute, take it to court, get it to court quickly, and get it resolved quickly. You can't leave these, ling- these, these charges lingering out there for uh, weeks, months, and years. But specifically, there are Republicans running for Secretary of State and county clerks and things like that who very strongly say President Trump won. So if they control the machinery, are, are you concerned they might try to uh, overturn a particular election? Again, all that has to be monitored. And I would say that's, that's what we have courts for. And with all that was alleged after the last election, the fact is the system did work. Uh, President Biden was elected. Uh, the uh, Electoral College did elect him, and that was confirmed by the, by the House and the Senate. So uh, we have a system that's strong. It is resi- resilient. So long as people stay alert and awake, it's going to happen. How bad could it get in America? We asked Peter King if he's worried about the divide leading to political violence again. Yes, there is a chance that, uh, in fact, there's a, a, you know, a real possibility of it, which is why people in elective office and people running for office and people in the media, anyone who's involved in the national and public debate has to be more restrained, has to uh, use common sense and not be saying anything that can lead to violence. Pete, is there anything else that you want to add? No, just uh, you know, let's remember with all of the dissension and arguing taking to the streets, People should realize we live in the greatest country in the world, and it's only in countries like America where you have the right, where any person at all, any citizen at all, has the absolute right to speak out on any issue, support anyone they want for office, and campaign for anyone they want. This is a true democracy, and we should realize that and not uh, somehow giving up or not surrendering. We have to fight harder for what we believe within the system. Congressman, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you.
Our thanks to Steve Israel and Pete King, two men who may not agree on everything, but they both do love their country. And they both have hope that service to the greater good will one day become the main driver of American politics. Our thanks to the good people at Miller Lite for that dated but fitting reference at the open. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS 880. The executive producers are Peter Haskell and Tim Scheld. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your audio so you won't miss a week. I'm Michael Wallace. Thank you for listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.